Turning your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4, we're continuing, of course, our study of the book of Daniel. Daniel, of course, was a young man taken off into captivity. He was Jewish. The, the nation of Israel had turned away from God in about the year 600. The Babylonian Empire with a man named Nebuchadnezzar came and took him off into captivity. And Daniel was chosen for training, and in the grace of God and in the, in the sovereignty of God, Daniel was raised up to be a leader in the Babylonian Empire, and became what's known as a wise man, which he, he could understand things and figure things out. We saw earlier that Nebuchadnezzar, back in chapter 2, had this dream of this statue. And the statue, the head was gold, and the arms and chest were silver, and then on down it was the... And he called in everybody, and nobody could tell what it was except Daniel. Daniel not only knew what the dream was, but what the interpretation was. And that was an amazing. And so Nebuchadnezzar said, boy, God, Daniel's God is a God who reveals things. Well, this morning is going to be special because Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And it's special because this dream, this information is directly to Nebuchadnezzar. God gives a dream to this king of the Babylonian Empire. And I want you to think about this because when, when you start, when I read it a while ago, if you start off, Nebuchadnezzar is the one writing this. It says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king to all peoples, nations, and men of every language. So we realize that this passage in the Bible was actually in the inspiration of God written by a pagan king, or so we think, we don't know. There's a lot that we can gain from the book of Daniel. We've been talking about it, and I want you to remember something. First of all, it gives us end-time events. It's going to be so exciting. We've already seen in chapter 2 end-time events. We're going to see them again in chapter 5 and chapter 6, chapter 7 and chapter 8 and chapter 9. End-time events, and then 10, 11, and 12 almost basically go together, and we'll see more future events. But the book also gives us character. It shows us how to live godly lives in an ungodly world. Because we see how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which we saw last week, and how Daniel, which we see now in all the rest of the book, how do they live? How do they live in a fallen world? And it's a real challenge for us as we think about this. So this morning we're going to see Daniel chapter 4 and this another dream. As we begin, I wanted to remind you of something. What is our commission? We talked a little bit about it in our grow groups, our Sunday school aspect. But what is our commission? You know, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, Jesus came out and spoke, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples. The great commission, the commission that we as a local body are supposed to be doing is making disciples. When you think about making disciples, it involves two things, evangelism and training. Evangelism is leading people to Christ, and training is helping believers to know and apply the Word of God. So in reality, each of us in this room, if we're going to make disciples, we, we basically try to lead people to Christ, tell them about Jesus, they trust Christ, and if they trust Christ, we help train them and equip them. When you think about sharing your faith, we've been, we talked about that about three lessons, two, two or three lessons ago in Grow Groups, and we really highlighted about sharing our faith, and we talked about a number of ways to share your faith. We have a class called the 4-2, we have another class called the 2-2, and in those classes, we actually teach different ways to share your faith. And, uh, but one thing, I, it, sometimes people use a track. You know what a track is? Something somebody hands out. I don't know if you realize this or not, but we have the thing called the living waters. I've got them right here. I've got one in my hand. And when you go out the door, as you go out the door, there's a table, one table on one side, the other table on the other side. The table on this side has a whole bunch of Gospel of John's. We call them Gospel of John's because they're living waters, and this actually is the Gospel of John. And in the back of it, it has a way that people, when they read it, or you can use it to help share your faith. So be sure, if you want to, pick up as many of these living waters, these gospel of John's, as you want as you go out the door. Use them in sharing your faith. 
we, we're gonna, we can put a lot more out there. In fact, we have thousands of them. And what is amazing, the people that, that publish these, it does not cost us one penny. We can get thousands of these free, so you can use these. The reason I bring that up is, in reality, Daniel chapter 4 is a track written by Nebuchadnezzar telling the world what he thinks of Daniel's God. Now, I talked to you about this, that when you look at Daniel 4, uh, is Nebuchadnezzar, it, would we say, if you read it, we won't be able to really tell until you get to the next week and you get to the very end, do we think Nebuchadnezzar might become a believer and believe in the true God of Israel? I don't know. The more I look at it, I, I wonder, maybe not. But anyway, wouldn't it be great to be in heaven and there's Nebuchadnezzar and we say, hey, I read all about you and you had quite a temper. You know that, don't you? you know, so we could say that. But anyway, we're looking at this. So uh, one of the things that we see in this chapter is that the sovereignty of God and Nebuchadnezzar realizes that, he, that Nebuchadnezzar is not sovereign ruler of the world. God is the sovereign ruler of the world. And so there's going to be some great things we'll see as we go through this. In fact, here's what we realized. In this passage, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream showing God's power and authority. So let me remind you of something. We, in, in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar realized that God is a God who reveals. In chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar realized that God is a God who delivers. That's when he threw the guys in the fiery furnace. Now in chapter 4, he's going to realize that God is a God who is the sovereign ruler of the world. He's a man of pride. The Bible says this in Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. We're going to see that Nebuchadnezzar stumbles in this passage. He writes about it. We'll see what he does. We won't see it all this morning, but we'll see it next time. Let me give you the outline for the whole chapter. Uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 is the inter- Nebuchadnezzar's introduction. He tells about why he's writing this. He tells about his dream, the first part, the last part. Then Daniel comes in to interpret the dream. And then we actually see the fulfillment of the dream and the king's testimony at the end. And that's what we'll see. We're going to get the first 18 verses this morning, and we'll get the rest of it next time. So let's look at it. Daniel chapter 4, look at verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar writes, he says this, Nebuchadnezzar the king to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live live in all the earth, may your peace abound. Now Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the Babylonian empire, and at this point in time, they are the rulers of the world. There had been the Assyrians. The Babylonians took over the Syrians. What's going to happen? The Medo-Persians are going to take over the Babylonians. After that, the Greek Macedonians are going to take over them. Then after that, the Romans are going to come to power. So this is just a flow of world events. Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm the king of the world. That's what he says. And he is Nebuchadnezzar the king to all the peoples, the nations, and the men of every language that live in all the earth. He's writing to everybody. Remember, he is the head of gold. When he saw that statue back in chapter 2, he thought, okay, I'm the most important king in the world. That's what he actually thought. And the truth is, he was the leading king of the world. Notice how he ends verse 1. May your peace abound. You know, everybody talks about peace all the time. Everybody wants peace. When we look at our world, we want peace. But what do we see? We say, well, we see North Korea, and we see Iran, and we see Russia, and we see some of those issues, and we see that people, for some reason, can't get along. And that's right. And the truth is this. There will never be peace on this earth until the Prince of Peace comes. That is Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to understand something. There are two kinds of peace that you find in the Scripture. There's what we call peace with God and the peace of God. I want you to understand it. Peace with God is salvation. 
All we like sheep have gone astray, each one our own way. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's not one that seeks after God. We are enemies of God. Before you believed in Jesus Christ as Savior, you did not have peace with God. You were an enemy. You had moved away. God had not moved away from us. We had moved away from him. God is the one looking for us. When you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you have peace with God. Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. You go from being an enemy with God to being a family member, to being a child of God. So that's peace with God. There's also the peace of God. And that's in the Christian life. And that you can have God's peace in your life when you walk in the Spirit. If you remember in Galatians 5, and 23, it says, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. The very third one is peace. And so you can have the peace of God in your life when you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So you can have the peace with God, which is by faith in Christ. You can have the peace of God, which is walking in the Spirit. So as this passage starts off, Nebuchadnezzar says, may, may your peace abound. He wants everybody to have peace. He thinks he's the king of the world. Now watch what he writes. He says this, it has seemed good to me to declare the signs and the wonders which the Most High God has done for me. Now, he says God has done signs and wonders. What had God done? Well, we, we haven't seen it yet. He hasn't written it, but we're going to see what happens, especially next week. It is probably the strangest thing you're going to see in the Bible. Let me give you a heads, kind of a heads up. He's going to take Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the world, and he's going to let him lose his mind and give him the mind of an animal. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to eat grass like an animal, and his fingernails are going to grow long, and his hair is going to grow long, and that's going to happen for a period of time until Nebuchadnezzar realizes that there is one king of the world, and that is God. That's going to happen. When Nebuchadnezzar writes this, it has already happened. And he's writing and he's saying, it seemed good to me to declare the signs and the wonders which the Most High God has done for me. We'll see what he did. We'll see how he did it. We'll see how this fits together. Look at verse 3. Here's what he says about God. How great are his signs. How mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. You know what Nebuchadnezzar says? Nebuchadnezzar says, God is the king of the world, not me. That's what he's saying. We'll see how it fits together. Nebuchadnezzar recognizes. What happened to Nebuchadnezzar? What happened to him? Well, we're going to see the story. What does he say about God? He says, great are his signs and wonders. He has an everlasting kingdom. He is the sovereign ruler of the world. Yes, signs and wonders. Let me tell you, he does beyond what anybody could ask a mansion. We saw back in chapter 3 that he took three men and threw them in a fiery furnace, and it didn't even touch them. Didn't even touch them. He has an everlasting kingdom because he's the eternal God. He is the sovereign ruler because he is the one that raises up kings and sets down kings. He has seen the power of God. He's all-powerful. He has seen the eternality of God. He's always existing. He's seen the authority of God because he rules over everything. The events that happened to Nebuchadnezzar helped him to understand about God. And you realize that the events and the circumstances that God allows to come into your life will help you and me understand about God. So there's some great things there. Well, here's what he says. He, he, he says, let's see this, this, this thing that happened to him. Look at verse 4. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. He says, everything was fine. I was doing great. I'm ruling the world. I saw a dream. 
It made me fearful. And the fantasies that I lay on my bed and the visions of my mind kept alarming me. He said, I had this dream and it kept going and I kept seeing it and it, 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 it was scaring me. It, it, in fact, it kept alarming me. You remember the, when he's had the original dream uh, back when chapter two was the statue, it, it was awe-inspiring to him. This dream doesn't inspire him. This dream scares him. It says it kept alarming him. Why? We'll see in a minute. Look what happened. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. He said, I brought in all my wise men so I could tell them what the dream was and they could tell me what it meant. He said, then the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners came in and related, and I related the dream to them, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. Now he brought in these, these wise men, magicians. These Actually, the word means a pen, it means these were the scholars. Even though it's translated magicians, these were scholars. Then the conjurers were people who did things dealing with dead. The Chaldeans were the astrologers and the diviners tried to tell the future. So he brought in these four groups of wise men and he said to them, tell me what's going on. And it says they could not make its interpretation known. Why? Because the natural man doesn't understand the things of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says the natural man does not understand the things of God. They are spiritually discerned. So an unbeliever is not going to be able to understand these things. Nebuchadnezzar and these wise men are not going to be able to understand what the dream is because Daniel is God's chosen man. He's going to be able to come and tell these things. Now let me remind you of something, and sometimes we don't always think about this. When you think about sharing your faith, we know that there's a message we give. We call it the gospel. The message is that Jesus Christ came to the earth, died on the cross to pay for sin, and rose again to conquer death. And whoever believes in him will never perish, but have everlasting life. That's our message. Jesus died and rose again. When you believe in him, you believe in him for eternal life, and you're saved forever. That's the message. When we go out to talk to people about Christ, stay on the message. Why? Because the natural man doesn't understand the things of God. And when they start raising questions about something over here or Jonah, or this and this and this, stay on the issue. The Bible tells us in John chapter 16, verses 9, 10, and 11, that when the Holy Spirit convicts the unbeliever, he convicts them of the fact they have not believed in Christ. So stay on the gospel message when you talk to unbelieving people because they're not going to be able to comprehend the deep things of the Bible because they don't have the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is convicting them that they have not believed in Christ. So stay on the message of salvation when you talk to the unbelievers. So here comes these wise men in and they don't know what's going on. They can't understand it at all. So watch what happens. But finally, verse 8, Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar. According to the name of my God, his God was named Baal. The, the Babylonians worshipped a God named Baal. And so they've got Belteshazzar and uh, Belshazzar, all different kind of names with that name. He says, his name was Belteshazzar according to the name of my God, and in whom is a spirit of the holy gods, and I related the dream to him, saying, now, Daniel came in, and he says, Daniel's name is Belteshazzar after my God, so Nebuchadnezzar still calls Baal his God, and he says that Daniel has the spirit of the, the holy gods in him. He doesn't say Daniel represents the true God. So we're not sure whether Nebuchadnezzar actually became a believer or not. We just can't tell. But Daniel comes in, and he says, Daniel... Here's my dream. 
O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dream, which I have dreamed along with his interpretation. He says, tell me what's going on. I'll tell the dream is, has bothered me. I'm all messed up about it. I don't know what it means. Let me tell you something. I think he knows it's something bad because it is something bad. I think he knows that. And he's alarmed, and he wants Daniel to tell him what it actually means. He trusts Daniel. He trusts Daniel. So watch what happens. He says, now here's my dream. Now these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. I was looking, and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. He saw this tree. This big old tree. Now, we're going to see another picture in just a second. Nobody knows exactly what it looked like. This is just a big tree, a picture we found. It's a big old tree. And he said, I saw this big old tree, a giant tree. And then look what he goes on to say in verse 11. The tree grew large and became strong, and its height reached to the sky. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth. So he found this one, and here's this tree. In his mind, the tree is so big, everybody on the earth can see it. He says, the tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to the heavens, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. He says, that's what I saw, this giant tree. And then he goes on to say, in verse 11 again, the tree grew large and became strong. Its height reached to the sky. It was visible to the end of the earth. And then he says this, and its foliage was beautiful and its fruit was abundant and it was food, food for, for all and the beasts of the field were under it and the birds of the sky were in it and all the living creatures, you know, fed themselves from it. He's saying the whole world is under the dominion of this tree and this tree is blessing everybody. Who do you think the tree is? You know who the tree is? It's Nebuchadnezzar. He looks and he thinks, I'm the big tree. I'm the king of the world. I'm ruling everything. I'm the tree. Watch what happens. While I was looking in the vision, in my mind, and I lay on my bed, and behold, a watcher. Our Bible puts the word angelic. And if your Bible's like mine, it says angelic watch, watcher. And the word angelic is in italics. That means it's not in the original language. It actually just says a watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. While he was dreaming the dream, some, something that looked a watcher is a, the, the, the word in Aramaic there has an idea of almost like an angel or some powerful being. Suddenly this being came out of heaven while he's seeing the dream. And he shouted out and spoke. The watcher said this, chop down the tree, cut off its branches, strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Now, if you're the tree, that's not very exciting, right? You don't want the tree to be chopped down. You're the tree, and suddenly it says you're going to be chopped down. But there's more. Look what it goes under. He says, chop down the tree. And then look at verse 15. Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it and the new grass of the field. He says, chop it, but, but leave the stump. What, what does that mean? So it's possible that the tree can grow back. What he's saying is, it's not the end of the tree. The tree's going to be cut down, but we're going to leave the stump because the tree is coming back. That's what he's saying. And I think he's understanding that. But then something weird happens right in the middle of the dream. Let me read it to you. Verse 15, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground but with a band of iron and bronze around it 
in the new grass of the field. Now notice, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beast in the grass of the earth. The tree changes to a person. Suddenly it's not let the tree, but let him. And notice what it says. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. In other words, be outside and get dew on you. Let him share with the beast in the grass of the earth. Whoever this is is going to eat grass. And then look, look, this tree. This tree represents Nebuchadnezzar. Look what it goes on to say. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let a beast mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. You know what this is saying? Nebuchadnezzar's understanding this, I think, when he saw the dream. He wants Daniel to tell him what it means. But what he thinks is this. I'm the tree, and the tree gets cut down, but I'm going to come back. But then all of a sudden, my mind is going to be changed to the mind of a cow, an animal. I'm going to eat grass like animals. And he says, let seven, and my mind will be like that of a beast, and seven periods of time will pass over me. That may mean seven years. What that saying is in this dream that Nebuchadnezzar is going to lose his kingdom for a while. He's going to become like an animal, eat grass, and then most likely be restored because that's why the stump is still there. He doesn't understand. He wants to know. So it goes on to say, this, this, this angelic watcher says, this sentence is by the decree of the watchers, and the decision is a command of the holy ones. Why? In order that the living may know that the most high is ruler over the realms of mankind. Who is? God is the ruler over the realm of mankind, not Nebuchadnezzar. He bestows it on whoever he wishes. He lets people be kings, whoever he wants to be king, and he sets it over the lowliest of men. The most high God, the God of Israel, rules over all men. This dream is telling Nebuchadnezzar, God rules the world. Nebuchadnezzar thought he ruled the world. Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm the head of gold. I'm the one that rules the world. Nebuchadnezzar had never come to the realization that God rules the world. And what does he see? He sees that God rules in the kingdom of men, that God gives the rule to whoever he wants to, and he gives it even to the lowliness of people. Do you know what this actually says? He bestows it on lowliness of men. He bestows it on the basis of people. Listen, leaders of the world need to understand that it's God who allowed them to be rulers. Listen, the ruler in North Korea, he's only the ruler in North Korea because God has allowed him to be the ruler in North Korea. And the ruler in Iran is only the ruler in Iran because God has allowed it. And the ruler in the United States, our president, is only president because God has allowed it. God raises up kings and sits down kings. God raises up leader and sits down leaders. And that way, all the way through history. That's why God can say there's the Greco Macedonians and the Medio Persians and the Romans and the Revised Romans and the Assyrians and the Babylonians and all these people because He is the one that raises them up and sets them down. And notice it says sometimes He sits it over the lowliness of men. Listen, just because God makes you a world leader doesn't mean He makes you a good person. I don't think we would say that Stalin, Lenin, Hitler, Pol Pot, Saddam Hussein, those were great men. No, they were not great men. 
They were leaders in the world, but they were not great men. In fact, they were the lowliness of men. God allows men to come to power in his sovereign plan. That's how he does it. And Nebuchadnezzar is one of them. But Nebuchadnezzar is not the ruler of the world. God has allowed him to be the ruler of the world. Psalm 103 verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. God is the king of the world. Nebuchadnezzar relates the dream to Daniel. What do you think Daniel is thinking when he's hearing this? He already knows what it means. He already knows what it means. Watch what happens, verse 18. This is the dream which I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have had, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, that's Daniel, tell me its interpretation, <clears throat> inasmuch as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation. But you, you're going to be able, for a spirit of the holy gods is in you. He says, Daniel, nobody else can tell me, but I know in the past that you've been able to do stuff like this, so I want you to tell me what this dream means. And we've seen it already. And you know what Daniel knows? Daniel knows that King Nebuchadnezzar, because he is a prideful ruler, he knows that one day God's going to take him and not let him be king, give him the mind of an animal, and at least seven times pass by, that probably means seven years, and then restore him to his kingdom when Daniel, I mean, when Nebuchadnezzar recognizes who God is. Now, would you want to tell Nebuchadnezzar that? You know, in the first dream, he got to tell Nebuchadnezzar. He said, oh, by the way, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. That was good. Nebuchadnezzar went, yeah, I thought so. This dream is not going to be good. So look at verse 19. We'll start seeing this next week, but look at verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him. He thought, I don't know what to say. The king responded and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Don't let it bother you. Tell me. Belteshazzar replied, Daniel said, my Lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your enemies. He's saying, if only the dream applied to your enemies. He said, I wish this dream wasn't about you, but it is. And you know what's so amazing? God can take anybody and use them, whether it's Daniel, whether it's Nebuchadnezzar, whether it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whether it's Paul, whether it's Peter, whether it's John, whether it's you. God can and does use anyone and anything to carry out his purpose. Next time we see the meaning of the dream, Daniel's going to interpret it, and we're going to see what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. So we see Nebuchadnezzar writes to the world and he says he had this dream. He called in his wise men. Nobody could tell him the dream. It was about a big tree that got cut down and the one became an animal for seven times and he wanted to know what's going on and he said, Daniel, tell me. And Daniel said, I'm bothered about this, but I'm going to tell you. So here's some applications. Think about this. Let's trust the sovereignty of God. Think about this. God is sovereign. He's in control. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. We've got to rest in him. There's nothing out of his control. He rules the world. He raises up world leaders, even the base ones. God is in control. And whether it's North Korea or the United States or Mexico or Russia or Iran or Iraq or Afghanistan or China, 
It doesn't matter. God is working over the whole council of the world. He raises up. He raised up Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, Solomon, David, Hitler, Stalin. God's in control. Realize that unbelievers cannot know the things of God. That's why these wise men came and they couldn't answer it. So when we present the gospel, stay on the subject because the unbeliever is being convicted by the Holy Spirit to trust in Christ. So stay on the subject of telling the truth about Jesus Christ. There's a second thing we can do is live out our faith. We've been seeing it all the way through the book of Daniel. We want to have an impact with those who don't know Christ. They can see our works. They may not can understand all our messages, but they can see our works. So we want to live in such a way that we bring glory to Christ. Remember, Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The third thing to think about, let's submit to the authority of the sovereign God. He is sovereign anyway, whether you recognize it or not. He rules all things. But let's come under that authority. Romans 12, he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Say to God, I want my life to count for you. You are my God and my Savior. I want my life to count for you. Pride is the issue in the scripture. And pride is powerful. It caused the downfall of Satan. It caused the downfall of mankind. I want to read. I want you to look at this. Proverbs six sixteen. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven, which are abomination to Him. And here's in verse the next verse. Here's one of them. Haughty eyes, which means pride. Nebuchadnezzar was a man of pride, and God showed him that God was the king not Nebuchadnezzar. We want to live in such a way, not to be men and women of pride, but of humility as we seek to live for God. May we come under the authority and the service of our sovereign God, knowing he is the one that judges, judges pride. He raises up and sits down as kings and rulers.